like we are still more than I can. We are not just that hair. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, so it's just a, it's just a lot that black women, you know, one minute, you know, we're just like protect black women, you know, build our confidence up without you trying to humble us at the same time, right? You know, protect us, but don't degrade us. Hello everyone, my name is Walt and I'd like to welcome you to Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. We do that by speaking with black leaders, CEOs, bosses, professionals, and just some really incredible people doing some amazing things. Now, today I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Courtney Brooks. Courtney, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I like your art in the background, too. I just noticed that. It's pretty oh, cool. thank you. What am I... One of my paintings. Or one of yours? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, well, that leads me to the next point. For those who don't know, and if you're in Atlanta, you probably have heard of her, but Courtney is an artist. And artists, really, when we think about it, means a lot of different things. And I would say Courtney falls under, if not all, most of them. I mean, she is a visual artist. She curates some amazing experiences, brings people together as an art curator, Recently joined the Atlanta Beltline, I think, to be their creative director. Is that right? Oh, no. Just the first uh, curator in residence. Curator in residence. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're going to get into that, everything, and what she's created and continue to create. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we jump into all those things, Courtney, very interested to know, um, what are three things that most people don't know about you? Um, Three things that most people don't know about me? Um... Well, I don't, hmm, I love hip-hop. I'm definitely a hip-hop vinyl collector. Um, my favorite smells, <laughs> I love a good-smelling man. I love fresh linen. I love fresh break, baked bread and a baby. I love the, those are like my favorite smells. And sunsets are my favorite time of day. Nice. I like those. <laughs> those are all very... You need the good smell. I'm surprised with that one, but I mean, that is very important. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So love hip hop. Who is your top five? Oh, you can't give me a top five. It Got just depends you. on the mood. I guess I'll, if I go to like my Spotify uh, list, like I'm always like my go to is Jay Dilla Radio. Um, I love the roots and some live some bleh, slum village. Um Definitely always been a Tupac fan. Love Jay-Z. Um, Nas. The most uh, Yasin Bay is my Bay. So those are like the top that I go to. <laughs> Very nice. And um, it's actually funny because um, when I first, oh, well, it wasn't that one. But when I first met you, well, I didn't actually get to meet you, meet you. But first time I got to experience one of your artworks was at a show. It was the Atlanta show. Um basically art just with the Atlanta theme to it. And I remember you were right. saying that was like your, before you had done one that was all on Tupac. So you had these artists come together to mm-hmm. really um, show their love for Tupac and everything. So it was pretty cool how you kind of take your interest and bring it into the art and the different. Yeah, world. definitely. Yeah. I just want to share stories, um, narratives that are dear to my heart and that bring joy, celebrate black joy. Um, so whether it's hip hop, um, recognizing black women photography um the love that i have for atlanta which the show that you're referencing is called was called catch me in the a 
Um, so yeah, anything that is near and dear to my heart, I try to represent that um, through my tutorial practices. Nice. And um, it's funny the, with the good smells thing. I was just curious, like if someone like kind of stepped to you, like showed some interest in you, but they just weren't like smelling good on like that first encounter. Would it be like a definite nah? Like you follow me on Instagram, but. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, I, that hasn't really happened too often. I mean, you know, people have like their natural smells, I guess. But I mean, like a good cologne, just a, like you give me a hug. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, um, so that's always like a highlight. Like a it's a highlight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. yeah. I think if I had to think about it, my favorite smell, I think, is either like, I think it's a mix between like cocoa butter, vanilla really love vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I forgot the name of the brand, but there's this Haitian family or business that puts together these like lotion things and they're lotion bars. It looks like bars of soap. And mm-hmm. I tried a sandalwood smell on for the first time. And it was actually kind of nice. Like that lotion where it came afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, starting to branch out, try out different smells to put together the Walter package, but um, coming soon. I'll, I'll Send the package to you to get your smell test. Make sure. Word. <laughs> yeah, definitely candles. Anytime I'm at like a bodega or any like anybody selling oils, I'm like smelling them. And, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And um, do you do a lot of or any like outdoor type of things like hiking and the sunsets or anything like that? I'm not opposed to it. I'm I'm more of a chill, so I rather like chill at the park or drive through the city. Playing music and catching up, the, catching up the vibes. But I don't mean I'm from Denver, and so I think that's where my love from the sunset, just watching the sunset um, behind the mountains and just the open oh, fresh nice. air. And so I'm a nature person, and, and just actually like enjoying the breeze on my face or smelling the rain come. Not really too active and you know like hiking, but I'll, I'll go sit by a pond. <laughs> I'll go sit under a tree. And stare right. and stare at the at the clouds. <laughs> gotcha. So that calm yeah. vibe, yeah. While the sunset's going on, I feel mm-hmm. nice. Do you all uh, get to go back out to Denver at all? I do. I'm actually I'm actually going this week. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so I haven't seen my family in a while, and uh, I'm gonna surprise my niece for her 16th birthday. So, oh word. Yeah, but I usually try to go to Denver like twice a year, mm-hmm. and um, cool. actually, like maybe last summer, maybe it was a two summers ago. So there's this amphitheater, like a concert hall in um, Red Rocks, Colorado. It's like one of the top concert venues and it's literally built in the mountains. And it's like, I'm probably exaggerating. It's probably like 26,000 feet above sea level. And it's just beautiful up there. It's just, it's, it was the most amazing concert I've been to. It was Nas was the headliner uh, Black Star opened up for him, so right. it was dope. Like just to be in Denver and the mountains and listen to hip hop at sunset. <laughs> right. That was like a classic a good night. Combo. Yeah, it was. Oh. It was. It was perfect. Man, so I appreciate. Huh? Do they have good smells too? They, they, there was some, there was some other good smells there too. Definitely, That's you know Denver. Ready for <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely ready. <laughs> cool. So it's interesting. I think Denver is an interesting place because um, there's like certain cities throughout America that I feel like are kind of like ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like little things, like I think of like breweries and stuff like that. And just like 
legalization. I don't. I think yeah, legal in um, Denver to like, by uh, marijuana is like legalized recreationally, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's completely yeah. legal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's attempts the to read on every corner, like you can see a gas station or a fast food joint. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so like. Yeah, they seem like they're very ahead of the curve. And I wonder if you can recall growing up in Denver compared to now where you're going back to visit, like mm-hmm. how have you seen it change? Well, it's definitely a lot of gentrification. Like my grandmother's old neighborhood is predominantly white now. Growing up, it was predominantly black. Um, and, you know, it's, Denver's always been like a really clean city. It's very um, open and fresh. I wish I would see going back. I wish I would see more like black owned businesses. There are some, but I think, you know, one of the times I went there, which is what's called little five points in Denver, which is on the East side, yeah. which was predominantly black growing up and was actually kind of hood growing up. Um, now you see white women jogging and walking dogs and pushing strollers, but it's also a art district now. And there's a lot of like bars and little restaurants and we went to a black owned space and I, the only person there was black was the owner and the DJ and me and my friends and everybody else was just like non-black. <laughs> so I wish I would see more black people hanging out um, or owning more like cultural things to do when I go home. But for me, usually when I go home, it's, you know, catching up with my family and doing nature stuff. Um, so it's not the same vibe as Atlanta. Um so I'm always happy to get back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up in Denver, like um, the most cultural thing that we would have was that we celebrated was Juneteenth and being in that, you know, performances and parades and food and um, black vendors. And then we also had the Black Arts Festival in July, which over the years has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And so it used to be all over the city park. And so... I wish I would see more festivals that's dedicated to black people. So maybe I'll put that in the air and maybe I can organize something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Denver is cool. As an adult, I guess to appreciate more of the outdoorsy things. Cause like growing up, I just, you know, hung out with my family, my friends, we didn't really go to the mountains like that. That was quite for privileged people. Like we didn't go skiing or anything like that, but as an adult, I'm open to doing more of those activities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a great place to raise a family. Like, I I personally don't want to deal with the snow. Uh. <laughs> That's actually a very good point. I grew up in Charleston, so like I could literally, I think like there were two times where it snowed that I could think of, and both times, of course, school shut down and it was like less than an inch, but still it was like amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up going to school up in like Virginia. There was like some real snow, and at first I was like, okay, we're like I actually like really enjoy snow, and it was cool at first, but then like the next day or the day after, it's just like, man, okay, it's still here, mm-hmm. I'm stuck here, and then it starts to get like brown and stuff too. So I like snow from a distance, but living in it, it's just not me. Yeah, it's it's pretty for seasonal and like visiting every once in a while. Actually, I'm like, I don't remember last time I visited Denver when it was snow because I'm just like, I do not packing for going somewhere cold is like. <laughs> Yeah, it's not fun (laughs) but you know during the holiday season and with the you know Christmas lights and the snow it's always you know and then like the snow like Denver is like one of the cities that gets the most sunshine so throughout the year like the sun's always shining and um so it will snow and then it will be gone the next day um so 
but it's pretty. It'd be so bright. Like if it just freshly snowed and the sun comes out, it's like blinding to step outside to see like all the white reflecting. Um, right. So. <laughs> all right. Cool. Be interested if you like put on like a snow exhibit next. So that could be a thing for Denver. Just throwing out ideas. You could take. Oh, okay. All know. right. <laughs> cool. Um, how old were you when you ended up leaving Denver? I was 18. I left 18? to go to college. Um, my dad drove me down to Houston to go to Texas Southern. Oh, drove yeah. me down and dropped me off, and uh, I became an adult instantly. <laughs> <laughs> instantly, <laughs> became an adult. Right. So yeah, I left at 18. So I've been gone for 18 years. Oh wow, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Big moment. So I guess I can say I'm Atlanta now. I'm, I've almost been here longer than I lived in Denver. So. Do I claim, oh, wow. start claiming I'm from Atlanta? <laughs> right. <laughs> Am I officially a peach? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm only two years in. Well, not even two years. I'm like years away from being able to just put my flag down. Mm. Cool. What was it like in Texas? Um, Texas was cool. It was hot. I didn't like the fact that it flooded. So coming from Denver that we were above sea level and then moving to Houston below sea level and like dealing with the humidity and so I'm all, I'm big on weather, but I liked Houston because I got to meet a lot of my mom's side of the family and see more black people and you know more culture. Um, listening to the music down there and chopping screwed and just being some you know immersed in black college life. Meeting I have friends from all over now, just you know just just for my freshman year. So it was a great experience from that. And actually, Houston was where I decided to become natural. So I literally cut all my hair off. Part of part, part of it being, you know, wanting to embrace my natural hair. Um, one of my good friends that was from Detroit, her and her sister, literally the first first women I've seen with their hair shaven with a tapered look and beautiful. And I was just like, oh, your hair is so pretty. And I've always been natural, like always had to have a relaxer. My hair was always needed to be straight. And then, you know, I think probably like the first couple months in, my like sweet mate cut my hair. And oh, wow. I was rocking, like, you know, a short haircut. And then I decided to go natural just because I was a broke college student and I couldn't really afford to get relaxers anyway. And so I was <laughs> like, I'm going to embrace my natural hair. I started thinking about how my hair was pre-relaxer as, like, a little girl. And it was like, I didn't need a perm. Like, I think growing up and, you know, during that time frame, Black Bombs, it was always easy to easier for, for us to get a relaxer to manage our hair. Um, and then for me, you know, learning to do my own hair, uh, I, you know, it was easy to put some rollers in and get some curls or slick it up in a ponytail. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm so happy now that young girls are embracing their hair and their natural curls. Um, cause that, that wasn't me growing up. I was just like, no, it needs to be straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, in college, I literally cut it all off, got a blonde looking like Eve and uh, I came back home and my parents was like, what did you do with my daughter? Because you said you would never cut your hair. And um, after that, I grew my afro and embraced my afro um, for about four years, four to five years before I decided to lock it. Oh, so, wow. yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> do you remember like how you were received like amongst your family? And then um, I guess in college is fine, but just with your family and like other environments, like how are you received coming in with the afro? Um, well, so I used to wear head wraps a lot until my hair grew out and became an afro. And then I was always experimenting with dyeing. And so professionally, you know, I always worked at a restaurant. Um, well, I used to tutor at like a couple of middle schools in Houston. 
And I, the only time I got like in trouble, I won't say in trouble, but had to be spoken about my hair was like, I literally had dyed it red. And I was just like, well, that's not professional. You're being a distraction to the students for having red hair. And I was just like, okay. So I took the red out, but never had any problems with, you know, being natural. Um, yeah, it was always embraced wherever, I, any place I was at. Yeah, yeah I, you know, my nickname was Free. Because they say oh, I look yeah. like free from 106 and Park when I had my afro. <laughs> <laughs> so that was literally like my bar name when I started bartending. I was bartending before I turned 21. So I'm oh, like, really? yeah, oh, like really? in Houston, you could bartend before you turn 21. Like you have to be, you could be 19 or 18 to bartend. Oh, cool. Or like more random. But anyway, so my nickname was free because um, of my afro. And uh, which kind of, which kind of like fit me because I am pretty much free spirited. And then I then I got another nickname as Muffin because I used to always have you know with my afro I used to pull it up into the little afro puff <laughs> so I got the, the nickname Muffin that people still call me to this day so um, yeah so I think about it I got a lot of nicknames because of my hair for being natural that's very cool yeah <laughs> I have some skills I haven't bartended in a while but I definitely incorporated those when I started curating my own events and you know having drinks and. I have been the queen of sangrias. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I make a, I make a really good sangria. So I, I cook, but uh, when it comes to like holiday events and different like potlucks or whatever, like they know Courtney's bringing the sangria. So uh-huh. I was like, I'll bring the drinks. Y'all just give me food so I can make plates. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's pretty cool. So um, can you tell me what, was the first um, art exhibit or experience that you created? So honestly, before I left to come to Atlanta uh, at my job where I was bartending at, I had to start picking up art. You know, I had took some art classes and um, I was, you know, just doodling and had some work that I was like, I'm going to sell my artwork to, you know, raise money to go to Atlanta. And my job actually let me um, show some art work there. And so my regulars supported me and bought some of my watercolor paintings. So if I had to say that was my first time ever organizing something to do with art was for myself. Um, and then fast forward in Atlanta, after I graduated um, out here, I was working at the manager and bartender at another restaurant in Castleberry. And there was Castle Bay Art Show every second Friday. And the owner will let me hang my paintings in the windows. I will be outside live painting. Um, if there was an event, like, uh, I think there was a flux project. They used to do like this block party and all the art galleries that was in the area will be opened up and people will have their art out. And so I'll be in front of the restaurant live painting and incorporate people to, you know, uh, paint on the canvas that I had. Um, and then I showed my first art show downstairs in their lounge area. So curating for me before I even called myself a curator was just getting my art, you know, giving myself exposure at my job. And so um, I just built up a clientele that way because my regular supporting me who will come see me Barton and then like all your artists. And that was always a conversation started. And yeah, so my first show there was called, um, can you say something? I don't know if I can yeah. hear you. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I was like, I didn't, my earphones sounded weird for a second. Um, yeah. Okay. So my first, when I decided to go full time with my art, or just go like get really serious about it. My first show was called She Is, which is a She Is series where I just painted 
a bunch of women, um, like black and white, um, monochromatic skin tone, and then had like colorful backgrounds. And I wrote poetry to like um, describe each piece. And I ended up having like a saxophonist come in. I have vendors, um, a DJ. So I was already, I guess, meant for this. Um, just because being in the restaurant industry, I came across a lot of DJs and, you know, other entrepreneurs. And so I was like, oh, okay, we're going to just combine all this together, not knowing that I was going to end up doing this for the next, you know, years to come. And so that was my first show by myself. And then probably like a year, no, 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 I wouldn't say even a year later. Um, so between that time, I was teaching art classes as well. So I was doing a lot of paint and sip um, classes at a studio I worked for. And then I'll also do mobile classes. Um, and then I was like, oh, I can do it at my house. So I had some, you know, chef friends that would come over and cook. And then we would, you know, have a paint party and have food. And so I was doing those events at my at my house. And then one of my other friends, uh, my business partners, was a she was a mixologist. And I had another chef friend. And so we came up with this idea called the Chocolate Night Inn, which was, you know, geared towards women. And we would bring in male models. Um, so I would teach a paint class. We will have male models for eye candy so they can paint on them. And then in between time, we will have a chef that will give out courses. And then we had a mixology class. And so in between, it was like stations. And like everyone kind of split up. And you can go learn how to make drinks. You make drinks for your friends or whoever you came for. Everyone will sit down and eat. And then I'll teach a painting so they'll have something to take home with them. So we did a chocolate night in. Um, probably been about four or five of those events. It got really expensive. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of, everyone just ended up doing their own thing. I would love to bring it back, but it was definitely a great experience. So that was like around 2015 that I started, you know, coming up with, I, you know, events that was pertaining to my art. And, um, so I've always been multitasking, whether I was bartending, teaching art classes, doing commission, commission paintings for myself to sell. And so, um, so just being, you know, trying to go to every art show, submitting to group exhibits. Then I met a promoter during the time I had one of my solo shows and, um, he was from New York and he was like, Oh, we do this, you know, we do a hip hop, you know, we do these hip hop events and we're doing a biggie tribute and I want you to, you know, get, get do some art, you know, if you get some artists to do some biggie paintings. So I was just like, Oh hell yeah. That's like right up my alley. Hip hop biggie. Right. So for this to be my first time to organize other artists to come together. And at this time I had a good roster because I've had been in other art shows and was able to meet other artists and call on my friends and work with them. So I had plenty of people to reach out to. And as well as doing an artist call on Instagram, I had artists in and work from Cali. It was just random people that was like interested that were Biggie fans. And so I literally had to pull the show together from scratch. They already had the venue, um, which was at a restaurant. Um, so it's like up and down, up, upstairs, downstairs restaurant. And um, I had to get like portable walls to hang the work. Um, so it was very, it was, it was very interesting, a great learning experience to pull that off for a one night event. I had about 25 artists. Um, and so it was dope. I had um, rest in peace. Her name was a photographer, Sheila um, Turner. And she has some original Biggie photos that she had taken with the brat that was in the show. Um, I've had like really great artists that was in that show. And a few of them, one of the artists sold her paintings to Ed Lover. So that was dope. I guess the downside to that was because it was a party, the art became more of a decor on the wall. So where the art was hanging, 
it, you know, they start sectioning off. People, you know, artists trying to be by their work so they could try to sell it. But people were just, they was there to turn up and take selfies with the photos majority of the time. So, um, so that was like difficult to see. Like, man, I mean, this is about the art too. People were trying to party. Y'all got VIP ropes and stuff. Like, mm. so from there on, I was like, this is a great learning experience. I got my feet wet. Um, and now fast forward a couple months later, I was like, it's Tupac's birthday. If I do a Biggie show, I got to do a Tupac show. So right. I did a pop um, show. Same about 25 artists again. I found a venue. It was a space that he was a photographer and he always lent his loft space out for, you know, creatives to use the space. And I asked could I throw an art show there. He was down. So, you know, put that together. One of my friends, um, Jonathan Banks, he um, was doing a project and he was like, let's do a documentary. So I just like gathered like three other artists that came and talked about their experience and how Tupac shaped their, you know, what Tupac done for them. And, um, it was just dope. So it just kind of kept the ball rolling from there. And so I just started to start collabing with other curators and always making sure I had every element, every skill that I've, I've acquired from bartending and managing and teaching art classes and throwing these events. They all came together when I started to curate. Um, these exhibits that is really cool yeah (laughs) a lot of times artists what kind of makes their art so great is that they kind of like pull from within Uh and you kind of did that too to create these experiences like okay yeah i have this like bartending experience i'll make sure there's drinks in love Uh kind of add some music in so like all these different pieces that kind of make you you yeah, they all tied in. And I appreciate this interview because it's making me just realize, like, I've done so much. I had literally updated my CV because I was doing a proposal for a mural. And um, I'm like, yo, Courtney, I've done a lot. Why do you be in your feelings so much? Like, <laughs> like all the skills that I've learned over the years have brought me to where I am today. And it's so crazy that sometimes you have this imposter syndrome. Like, you know, you deserve everything that you put in. And so you can only elevate higher, stop stopping yourself and being at war with yourself because just look at everything that you've accomplished thus far. That is really real. And I'm glad you're able to notice that as well. Cause I know, I think last year, yeah, last year there's an interview on the breakfast club with Wale and he mentioned something called imposter syndrome. I was like, well, hold on a second. I think that that sounds like what's going on with me. And I don't even think of it as a thing uh-huh. I was doing. Um, but and I started to talk to more and more people about it. And I feel like a lot of people experience it in different forms. And it's kind of crazy, um, especially when you're like working on something and creating something great, kind of like you mentioned. I think that uh-huh. a lot of times we're just like in it and we only see the things that we haven't done yet. And it kind of like messes with us. But kind of when you take a step back and look at everything, you're like, okay, actually, I have done a lot. I can do a lot. Yeah. You're definitely someone who has done a lot. Um, I know, like, I've only been following for a year, but just in the past year, it's been a lot of cool things that's going to come from your vision. And Thank you. You've Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think, honestly, that I got burnt out and I'm so hard on myself. And it's just like taking that time to be like, be gentle with myself and be present. Um, but it's so hard because I wake up and feel an anxiety like I should be doing this. I should be doing that you know, don't let this opportunity pass by. And I'm just like, I have created my own opportunity. So it's just like, you know, but just still trying to keep the momentum going and find that balance. It's, it's been difficult. Um, but I had to be honest with myself. It was just like, it's okay to take a break. It's like, okay to like get your mind right. 
And so you can like, you know, push harder when it's time to get going again. Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we've put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. It's an extension of this very podcast and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series that addresses the black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now, you can join today by searching for Boss Locks Working While Black. And also, to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site. We can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing, but also, you'll see really easy instruction on how to join the group. I'm talking about like a click of a button and boom, like you're there. So, you know, it, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support black growth. So join today, and I'm looking forward to see you there. Now, thank you very much for listening, and now back to our show. You um, were saying something about, like, what your art became and, like, um, like this kind of interesting switch to being an entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. art as a hobby towards something else yeah so I was saying when I was I, when I started to focus on curating more my I feel like my art became a hobby for, and I wasn't painting you know to I wasn't painting to sell my work I would still do other you know try to put my art in other shows and other things but I wasn't pra- doing my studio practice as I should I was so focused on everybody else's artwork and putting every all my energy into theirs and you know it was easy for me to you know ask my artists to do a b and c but I wasn't doing the same practice for myself. So I had to learn that and separate, you know, Courtney, like you need to make time for your studio practice and create for your work. So it's something that I've always toiled with and I've always gone back and forth with. And, but then at the same time, like I said, going back to being gentle with myself, it's just like you elevate at different, you know, different levels. And maybe this is not my, this wasn't my time to focus on my art. Maybe I had to like, you know, learn some other things, and then I can come back to it, you know, and I want to force it, but at the same time, still be conscious of like, this is my gift. This is where, this is how it all started. I've always been an artist as a child. So that's what it comes naturally to me. And maybe I'll stop having an attitude if I just focus on it, <laughs> if I just do it. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So um, I'm curious, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, of course, but when you say like you felt like your art was becoming a hobby, I definitely understand that because I think sometimes it kind of sucks to not be able to, you're going to put all your energy into other people's stuff, but not mm-hmm. as much into your own, or at least not as much of a priority. Mm-hmm. So, like what type of things do you kind of tell yourself or are you learning to tell yourself to kind of put yourself first? That... I am a good artist. I have all my art like randomly hanging around my house. So it's just like, I'm staring at my pieces. Like I need to get back to that. And so instead of just sitting around thinking, just, you just got to do and just pick up the brush. And there's times I will, you know, buy art supplies and I have all these random art supplies stuff that I find. And I'm just like, I have everything I need here. I just have to get my imagination back on track. Um, So one of the things that I have been struggling with that I, Maybe is it just 
symbolic to how I've been feeling. It's just needing to, you know, like I said, work on that self-care and love on myself more. And so I started a self-portrait that I started and then I stopped and I'm constantly staring at it. And it's just like, what are you afraid of? Why can't you just pull this out of you? Why can't you just paint your, why can't you paint yourself for yourself? It's not for anybody else, but literally challenging myself to like paint all my insecurities, all my flaws into this painting. So it's just like literally pulling everything out of me to create something for me that is me. And so I think it's, it's I think I, for a minute I was scared to do it. And so it's just like, what are you, what are you afraid of? So, you know, I guess finding the time to really be like, Courtney, you can do this. Like, you don't need anybody else's validation. You know, just make yourself proud. So I think that's what this whole lesson is about me painting this picture of myself. <laughs> that's really cool. I like that, especially to make myself proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And I think... For a lot of people, including myself, I think sometimes it is like the we're focusing so much on making other people proud. Like, mm-hmm. we even think about make myself proud. That's a very interesting statement. I like that. Right. Because you hear all the time, like, you know, it's it's disrespectful or it's a waste for everyone that supports you that if you're not doing the work because there's so many people that's out there supporting you. And I've mm-hmm. thought about that plenty of times. I think about my why, like why I started, why I want to do this. And, you know, only just give praise to the most high because I feel like that's my purpose and I'm supposed to be here doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but if I'm not doing it, maybe that's where the depression comes from. And maybe that's why I feel the lack of, um, you know, confidence just because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. So, yeah. So just like owning up to that and just saying it out loud um, will help you get the ball rolling, I believe. So, you know, we constantly, you know, look for validation because even when I would do these art shows back to back get you know praise like oh this is dope Courtney you know I'm you know I'm creating platforms for artists and that feels good like I, I generally feel good giving and helping and doing that but it's like as soon as that's over it's on to the next thing right and you're just like okay I did that but the next thing has to be bigger and bigger, bigger and better and you, you get on this like roller coaster of trying to like do something better than what you did the, the time before and then not even taking the time to like congratulate yourself. Like you did that. Like it's okay to celebrate yourself and not have to, you know, keep up with the Joneses or feel like you're, you know, you should be in only in competition with yourself, but at the same time you see, you know, other people thriving and try not to compare yourself because everybody's journey is their own. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's been interesting. It's, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, for real. And speaking of journeys, um, one of the favorite thing, if you didn't know, I'm a big fan of you, but I appreciate one, of the, <laughs> and one of the things that you've put together, which I think is really cool for a number of reasons. One, it when I see everything that you do with this, it kind of inspires me to kind of rethink the way I approach certain things but um uh-huh. the and i'm not even sure what the best way to put it but the brand the um idea but what you call the journey of a black girl i uh-huh. think it's so incredible from the instagram page up into all the different um art exhibits i see as an extension of it or uh-huh. just all together uh-huh. um so one for everyone who's not as familiar with it can you explain what 
journey of a black girl is? Yes. So um, journey of a black girl is just a reflection of myself and the women that I've come across and just black women and girls in general that we all kind of share these experiences um, just in our culture. Right. So when I received the um, curator residence for the Beltline, this was my first public art um, exhibition that I was granted to do. And so in the middle of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I was working with some other black women creatives. We were in Brooklyn painting a mural uh, for the Census Bureau. And, um, you know, Charmaine Manningfield was the lead artist. It was her projects and she had brought um, me and another artist on. And we created a mural of Maya Angelou, um, Harriet Tubman, and I want to say Betsy Johnson. I felt bad for not remembering <laughs> the other name. But anyway, so I'm on this team of black women and we were, you know, had an Airbnb and, you know, her daughter was like a vegan chef and she's like preparing for breakfast. We're like, you know, going over what our day is going to be. And we just start talking about our journeys. And I was just like, yo, this is it. This is what my exhibition is going to be about. Like literally celebrating black girls and black women and how far we've come and, you know, everything that we have gone through um, as creative women how can I share that in a public art room? So we start coming up with these ideas. And when I got back to Atlanta, you know, I wrote out my proposal of what I wanted it to be. Um, and I knew it was going to be broken down in different phases. So of course I was going to incorporate art, of course, art, um, dance, music, anything that had to do um, creatively that can share the story from a black woman creator's point of view. And so we started off with, the adolescence and, you know, um, being um, open and uh, celebrating ourselves as a young girl, um, realizing that moment that we were black and how special it is to be a black girl, um, learning to embrace our hair and learning to, you know, what we like and um, how to just self-identify, right? And creating space for ourselves and our sisterhood. And so from adolescence moving on to becoming a woman. So this is whole journey. And so one of the first phases on the belt line was I created a workshop called hair day and we created um, 15 foot long braids made out of yarn that hung, that's actually still hanging from the bridge on the belt line. And so it was like three workshops and women, I just did a call for women to come out to help braid these braids. And it was just a healing space. Like we all came in, we joked, we laughed, we braided. There's stories of women who was like, I never braided before. I don't know how to braid my own hair. And there's other women who's like, I've been braiding hair since I was, you know, this high. And so it was like a good feeling to like meet all these different black women who shared these hair experiences. And we talked about that. We braided these braids. We put, you know, beads on them. We made beads for them. And to see that come to life and actually hang it um, on the bridge, is, it's, it was beautiful. And so I wanted to incorporate different colors because we black women are like the best when it comes to doing hair. And we can do any color, any rock, any style, and we just make it look good. And so, you know, black girls are always seem ghetto for having color. And it's just like, no, this is what we do. We're going to put color in our hair and be fly with it. And so um, all the braids have different colors in them. And so that was part of the first um, phase, which was called This Crown Belongs to Us. And I also wanted to dedicate it around the time, which is still going on now, 
uh, with the Crown Act that's trying to get the, the law passed for hair discrimination. And so Georgia being one of the states that did pass, um, you know, we don't want our hair discriminated against, right? <laughs> so we could be in a workplace or be at school and just be proud to let our hair grow out the, our hair, grow out our head the way that it's how we, how it's supposed to be. Like we just shouldn't have to assimilate any longer, you know, it have to be consumed, seem professional to have straight hair. Whether we want to rock straight hair or not, we can do whatever we want, but embracing our natural hair. So I wanted to highlight that as well. Um, another part of phase one, um, I had college girls that black women's college students come out and they perform music. They sang, they rap, and they told their journey as a black girl. I had a clubhouse that was already, I call it the, my homegirls clubhouse, which is like this little electrical box that was abandoned. It had graffiti over it. It was disgusting. Um, so we got that cleaned out. I had an artist come and she painted a mural that, you know, was a little girl with Afro puffs. And the message was little girls with vision become women with dreams. You know, little girls with dreams become women with vision. And so just wanting to, you know, inspire young black girls, you know, that you can you can have a vision and it can be something great. And because of COVID, I couldn't have the pop-up gallery that I wanted on the inside because um, I had other artists that were going to bring in artwork. I had an artist, he designed a chair, which was like, I only, I only had a few men work on the project and mainly because I wanted to celebrate women, but there were black men that were on the project because they support black women too. And I wanted to give them props. And so, um, so that was the first phase. And, and like I said, because of COVID, we had to, you know, change it to be become virtual. And so we ended up, you know, recording the artists to come out um, and we created a video of them and little mini documentaries of little black girls saying how they love their hair. Um, so that was like dope. So I was just like happy to have that happen um, for the first phase. Second yeah. phase um, was transitioning to a woman. And with that, I worked with Melissa Alexander, um, she's also known as Phyllis Iller. She's a beautiful photographer, uh, filmmaker, and um, Angela Davis Johnson, who is a multi dimensional artists, uh, visual artists, performance artists. And so they came together, uh, you know, invited them out to help with this vision. And they created this performance that was supposed to be under a bridge, under another bridge on the, under the part of the belt line. And um, because again, back to COVID, we couldn't do it. So, but still talking about it and they already had started to like, you know, film their, their performance. Um, one of the artists was quarantining in, New Orleans. And so we were like, well, let's just go to New Orleans and finish it. This is truly has become a journey for real. Right. Cause I knew that this, this project was going to go beyond the bell line. It wasn't going to be just on the bell line. I knew journey of black girl was going to going to go further than this. And so going to, to New Orleans would just confirm that. And so we filmed in New Orleans. Um, I became part of the video, which I wasn't, you know, that wasn't a part of the original plan, but the symbolism of the story, um, it just made sense. And um, so when we got back to Atlanta, I incorporated a spoken, spoken word artist, um, Teresa the Songbird, and she performed her poem, You So Black. And it was like, yo, you so black. And it was just amazing. And it just fit so well. And I was so happy to work with these beautiful women and get it recorded. And now it's in virtual space and it can be seen all over, you know, versus the original plan for it to be performed one day. Um, so it just became a whole film. It just birthed itself into something completely different. Um, and then my third phase, I was still trying to figure out how to get this done. 
but I have I wanted to have an art a photographer not a photographer a visual a muralist that was going to come to paint a mural, um, and and then I also had a pop up uh, vintage thrifting uh, online fashion uh, show where I had uh, vintage block parties three amazing black women entrepreneurs that sell you know they are who are stylists and. Um, so we, we sell vintage clothing and we just want to talk about how black women never go out of style. Like we are always setting trends. So I had to incorporate fashion, right? So it's like all these elements that's celebrating black women. And, you know, whether you can say, like I said, it's like just being happy with yourself, having that confidence, incorporating sisterhood that we find with, with one another, and then actually healing, giving praise to God, giving praise to our ancestors that's getting us through everything that we've gone through because we're such a strong people. And so um, just celebrating black women all day, every day. And with the Journey of a Black Girl Instagram page, I am in the midst of wanting to uh, revamp it in a way that doesn't just come off as a repost page. Um, but I can't help it because I see all these beautiful black girls and black women who do like all these great things. And I'm just like, this is why we're so dope. And I have to celebrate us, but also still um, bringing in other content that I've already have created for the original journey of black girl and, you know, sharing more knowledge and resources for black women and girls. Um, so yeah, <laughs> create more, you know, workshops and wanting to travel with it. Cause I want to make a full documentary on Journey of a Black Girl, because it's never ending. And we all have different stories, um, all different stories, but we're so similar. And um, just because of the skin we're in. So it feels cool. good. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, like a journey really never ends. Um, right. Whatever that journey is, it continues mm-hmm. even past yourself sometimes, depending on where that journey right. leads. Yeah. Because even all the different phases, it's like, I could have just focused on the hair and that could have been a wrap, you know, but it's like, we are still more than our hair. We are not just our hair. (laughs) But like, yeah, so it's just, it's just a lot that black women, you know, one minute, you know, we're just like protect black women, you know, build our confidence up without you trying to humble us at the same time. Right. You know, protect us. But don't degrade us, you know. Like it's all this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're so complex, and it's but it's a beautiful thing. And you know, I feel like we always are trying to fight for our right to speak our truth. Um, and we're very supportive of, of one another to a certain extent. You know, I think we are uh, very supportive of one another. And there's always going to be like some downfall, but that's just trauma that we have to heal within ourselves, with our with with ourselves, with our sisters, with our partners with our men um we have to we have to heal with the, with each other because we always are we're fighting the world already um so i just want to create a space that encourages that you know you actually said something earlier that kind of leads me to my next question um that you can create your own opportunities mm-hmm. um and I think you were talking about that in reference to like, you know, missing opportunity, but you know, you create your own anyway. So you just create another one. Mm-hmm. I like that statement. But when it comes to the discussions around protecting black women, um, I think it's so interesting. Cause like, it's a, you would think it's a simple thing to do, but like most things, there's a lot of complexities and a lot of unlearning that has right. to happen. And I'm curious to hear your opinion on creating those spaces like you are doing versus mm-hmm. looking to get 
a seat at a table in a space that already exists and not let in a negative way, but like, how do you feel about um, those two different paths? I think they're both um, equally important, right? We need someone fighting for us to get these, um, you know, we need to have a seat at a table because we have been treated unfairly and unjustly, you know, black women are one of the most educated people, right? And we have these positions. I've never been a corporate person, but for those who are, it's important that they have that space so they can, you know, open up doors for other women who are going down that path, right? So we all have a role that we're playing. Some are healers, some are going to be activists, whether it's economically or, you know, whatever whatever type of justice that they are, you know, searching for, not searching for, but, you know, advocating for. Um, Some are creators that just want to, share joy and, you know, celebrate us. So whatever path that you're on, you know, just do it to the best of your ability and don't forget to bring somebody up with you. That's how I feel about it. Like, as far as creating your own opportunities, it's like, yeah, you may, okay, this, I may not have the ability to get on that, on that, on that seat or in that table. um, But okay, I can create this other, this other situation here that I can, bring somebody else on, right? So I can create this, but I need my sister that's in this area to, to help me, you know? So we, it's all it's all a circle. We all have to help each other um, in some form or fashion because we're not strong in every area. So just recognizing your strengths and your weaknesses and not being afraid to ask for help um, is something that I've still been learning, right? Because even in my most vulnerable moments, it's like if I can't even reach out to say, hey, I'm hurting, or I need to talk about what I'm going through personally. How can I ask a stranger for funding? Like, how do I have the confirm? How do I have the confirmation or the confidence to be like, "Yo, I'm standing strong in what I believe, and I need you to help me get this." And if I haven't been practice asking for, I might need. I need you to help me with this, like small thing, like with someone that I do know that I do care about. Um, yeah. So just learning that and unlearning not to do those bad habits. So. Um, it all comes together in a sense of just having that sense of community and being being able to be open and reach out to one another um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for Black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. It's an extension of this very podcast and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series that addresses the Black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now, you can join today by searching for Boss Locks Working While Black. And also, to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site where you can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing, but also, you'll see really easy instructions on how to join the group. I'm talking about, like, a click of a button and boom, like, you're there. So, you know, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support Black growth. So join today, and I'm looking forward to see you there. Thank you very much for listening, and now back to our show. It's 
a really good point. I like that answer. It's kind of goes back to, I guess, really just knowing who you are, what you need, and what mm-hmm. you feel you can do. Right. Mm-hmm. And just having gratitude, you know, being grateful and, you know, shifting this good energy um, and just knowing, like, where where are you at on your personal, where are you at on your personal journey? Like, are you on this space where, are you in a space where are you just letting life happen to you? Are you making it happen? Or are you just being so present that you know that, you know, you're manifesting and you're attracting the goodness to come to you and that opportunities are going to present themselves, right? Because you're already doing the work. So you don't have to beg for it. You know, you're like, I'm doing the work and what's meant for me is going to come for me. But also still knowing that faith without work is dead. So you can't just like, sit around wishing and hoping and like, Oh, this is going to happen. You still got to do the work. Cause I started noticing when I'm doing the work, more opportunities come that I had not was that I wasn't seeking. Or even when I take that leap of faith and be like, okay, I'm going to try to do this proposal. I'm going to, I'm going to just go for it. And then it comes to me like, that's exactly what happened with the belt line. Like I was so busy curating. So this time last year, or I would say spring of yeah, spring of last year, I was in the middle of curating two shows. We're working on the third. I painted a mural. I did a pop-up event. And then in all the midst of that, this this proposal opportunity came. And I waited to the last minute to get it done. And I was just like, okay, Courtney, you're doing this for you. Do this for you. Like, just try it. Like, just do it. I was at the last five minutes before it was due. And I sent it. I thought it got, I thought it didn't go through because it said my files are too big. But Luckily, I had emailed the person in charge, you know, prior to sending out the form online and it got through. And like a month later and I received that email saying that I received the residency, all I could do was just like cry and just thank God because it was like, yo, I tried. Like I was putting in the work and I have faith in myself and it happened. And now this is where we're at. <laughs> now this is where we're at. But, you know. It's 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 I'm not it's not all lollipops and you know, flowers and rainbows. Like I, you know, considering that we are in a a pandemic and the world is going crazy and you know, there's still so much beauty and greatness, you know, it was so hard to, you know, keep your sanity at at, at times. And I found myself, you know, I, I talked to you briefly, like found myself feeling like, damn, am I depressed? Like, what am I like? Why do I feel like shitty? I'm doing all these great things, but I still feel shitty. And so, like, I've had to, you know, take a social media break. I've had to, you know, (laughs) pray and try to, like, just, you know, surround myself with good people and just really just, you know, whatever you got to do to get your mind right, then so be it. Just, you know, as long as you're not harming yourself or others, just, you know, it's just we're adjusting. We're all adjusting. (laughs) We're all adjusting. That's right. It's a shift that's definitely happening. Mm. So... Yeah. yeah, that's a really good <laughs> point. I think social media is definitely very deceiving because, like, yeah, it's. I think it's hard. This period is really weird for a lot of people, and some people are definitely thriving right now, and that's great. You know, it's great mm-hmm. to thrive just in general. So it's also amazing to thrive right now in this period mm-hmm. of time. But even then, you know, there's just life's rough, even just in a regular day. But it's like pandemic times and. We forget that sometimes, but yeah, I know a lot of people are experiencing different things in different ways. So it's um, right. really cool that you're able, you're, I guess, 
I guess pretty like, self-aware enough to realize like, hmm, what I'm feeling isn't the usual feeling. I don't really know what it is, but it's okay. But I'm just going to try these different things to right. make it all work. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, not to let the internet rush you. And it's so crazy because you see all these memes and you're just like, yes, that is, that makes sense. That's dope. This is inspirational. I'm going to apply this. But then you wake up the next morning like, I did not apply anything I just read yesterday. But right. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's constantly going. You have to like, you know, keep telling yourself, you know, get out of that negative talk and just be, you know, you know, and if you, if you have a day where you're like, I'm not doing anything today and it's okay, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. Um, but also, you know, I, like I said, this is the first time because I've always been on the go. I've always been a social person. I can be an introvert when I'm tired and I'm just like, I've worked my ass off. And so it's cool to come home and cook and eat ice cream and catch up on a Netflix or whatever the case may be. That was like my happy space when I wasn't out, you know, working and my jobs have always been like a party to me. Like, I've always had fun at any job. I, you know, like I said, I was bartender and there's always a DJ and I, my space was a hangout space that I worked at. So I got to see people that I liked all the time. And if I was bored, I can just go there. Um, and then with art, I stopped. I'm, I've never been a club person. So after I stopped bartending, you know, yeah, I switched automatically just straight to art. So I'm just going to all the art events. And so I'm getting to see all my art family. So it's just like, Hey, you, you see everybody. So I think for me, it's like, I've done that for years. And then for, you know, the summer has to be like quarantine and I'm by myself. Like, wait, wait, what is life? Okay, Courtney, <laughs> this is time to like focus on you. And I haven't spent this much time by myself for a long time. So of course, everything's coming up. You're unpacking. You're like, yo, why did I do this? And I'm like, be playing scenarios. I'm like, well, this didn't work out because you didn't do this. And, you know, you're, you know, overanalyzing and judging yourself and critiquing yourself. And so it's like okay, let me get out of this. It's okay to like, you know, you said, be aware, but how can you be better? Mm-hmm. And so I think this time is a blessing. Um, you know, it's, it's a blessing. Um, it's scary, but that, that's what life is. You never know what the day is going to bring, but if you really just wake up feeling grateful and hopeful and that you have another day to, to try again, that's, that's what really matters. Yeah. And yeah, that's a that's a good point. Definitely a good gem to keep in mind too. <laughs> I know, like just hearing that and thinking back to like this year, like at the beginning of COVID, it, it was such an interesting time because for the most part, we were all like, "COVID, what is that?" Like, right. At first, it was like, "Oh no, it's happening in China. It's whatever." And I like remember I was like coming back from a trip from California for my first time. And it was like, basically as soon as I landed back, it was like, everyone's like, Oh no, it's like for real, for real. And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. I might be out for a week. I remember telling people I was working with like, yeah, I'm just going to be home for a week. Just, you know, this week and I'll be back following week. It's all good. And I was like, Oh yeah, no problem. We probably are too. And then I remember seeing like your event was supposed to be scheduled basically like that following week. I remember cause I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be there. And it's like, yeah, so like literally, and everyone's realizing, like, oh, no, nah, this is everywhere, and I don't know what to do except go to the grocery store. Listen, my mom had came down. I, like I said, it was three different events that was supposed to happen three different weekends, right? Literally, <laughs> when I tell you, my mom came, I'm like, my mom got here two, two days before my event was supposed to happen, so I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off all week 
trying to get ready for Saturday, got a food truck. It was like, everything was like coming together. People were like, how can I help? I'm having people DM me like, I can help volunteer. And I'm like, oh, look, all this greatness is coming. Friday night at eight o'clock, I get the phone call. We can't have it. Canceled, literally eight o'clock on a Friday. My event was supposed to be the next day at 12 or one. And I was devastated, okay? Like, I, and I think a little bit of that came into my depression too. Like, not, no lie. Like, so my mom was here. And even the next day, the people who were rooting for me, who were supporting me the whole time, was like, yo, we still gonna celebrate. Like, we still gonna come out there and just see, you know, so there were, I had a group of people came out there and just, just, you know, see what was already up. And that felt good. And then with my mom being there for the next few days, she was supposed to be there for two weeks. And she was like, I gotta get back to Denver. I gotta get back to your daddy. And I'm just like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> like, go back home. We don't know what's going on, you know, with this whole quarantine thing. But it didn't. It, it hit me after she left, and I was like, "Yo, I'm really by myself." Like, mm. like I, my show. This did not happen. All this work that I've been putting in for like the last six months did not happen. And so, being in limbo, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, everyone's pivoting so fast, and I was just like, "Pivot" it became a trigger word for me. I was like, "What the? What is that? I don't. Oh, wh- how do I pivot a public art event? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like." And so I just felt crazy for a long time. I don't remember April. <laughs> I think April, I think I did a couple of live uh, interviews with some of the artists. I think I was trying to do spring cleaning. I, April was a blur. And then May came and I had my meeting about the belt line. It was like, okay, Courtney, we need to figure something out. We got to do it virtually. And then, so I had to revamp and reorganize, re-strategize, look at my budget and cut some things to get new things going. But, you know, like I said, some beautiful things came out with it. I got to work with other people. And we got this. And shout out to Temper House Films for creating these videos that were amazing. Um, so, yeah, I built some new relationships. And so it's like, like I said, it's, it's a blessing. <laughs> but, yo, when I tell you that that was a whole story of doing a whole show in the middle of a, of a <laughs> pandemic. Okay. and then the week that um everything was supposed to launch was when all the riots happened like all the you know and i want to say the protesting and everything it was so heavy like everything outside was so heavy so i was like yo at least what i'm I'm doing is going to bring some joy some 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 peace or some calmness to the storm that's going on that's swirling on around us right it was so much going on um during the week of juneteenth and that's when all the all the content dropped. I was having like um, technical difficulties the first day. So it didn't get, it get, didn't get launched the right way. But then finally, you know, everything started coming together. I ended up doing a, um, a mural with Powerhouse. Um, we did a Juneteenth takeover on Peachtree. And there was like 19 artists that did some murals on the Flatiron building, which uh, was known for having KKK back in the day, had their meetings there. And so to see us black artists painting all this black imagery and, having photography and it was dope. So it was like that happened on Juneteenth. And then the next day, I think I had my curator talk. I was just drained. I was just like, yo, this happened so fast. Um, you know, traveling, like I said, we drove to New Orleans in like a day and a half, came right back, filmed, you know, making sure everyone got their edits together. So it was a great learning experience. And then July came and I was just like, I'm burnt out. <laughs> I'm burnt out. And I'm just like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> but I, I, I tell myself I wasn't going to do anything. And it's like, Courtney, rest. Your body's saying, chill out. 
when my brain's like, yo, you're not being productive. You need to, you got to keep this journey. You got to keep this momentum going. And I was like, yo, am I going to be present? Are you going to try, are you going to be present? Or are you trying to stay relevant? My work speaks for itself. I'm not, I'm always going to be relevant. <laughs> so that's what I tell myself. Like you're always going to be relevant. You ain't got to be, you know, trying to do everything. Like just relax, get your mind right. You know, get ready. So you ain't got to get ready, you know, be prepared and make the proper steps. So when the time comes, you'll have A, B, and C ready to go again. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. Right. <laughs> and trying to get my painting, get my painting skills back up too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. So that's it. Just find balance and discipline because I honestly, I had a, I had a real hard accountability talk with one of my good friends and she's like walking. She's like, what do you do today? And I literally walked her through my day. She was like, Courtney, you could have did all that stuff in five hours. <laughs> Everything you said you want to do, you could have knocked it out, but you lollygagging. And I'm just like, you're right. Okay, it's August. <laughs> Let's plan for this last quarter. Like, like what's going to happen for this last quarter? So, or what, 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 are we in the third quarter? I don't know. Like, anyway. Yeah, we're it's just about, right we're half, we're halfway through the year. So, yeah. it's, it's time. And I'm, you know, actually, and honestly, I have to think about my cycles too because. I find myself like every July, I've always been like, this is, you know, revamp, you know, um, reorganizing, reflecting of what I did for the first six months. And I'm just like, okay, now let's get it together. But normally September, October, like fall is like my favorite season. And I feel like that's when I thrive the most. So I think I'm going to be straight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You already had the burnout. You're good now. You're not yeah. handle the next one. Right. Yep. Very cool. Now, um, one quick question. Um, so curator and residency, can you explain what exactly that means? So this was the first time they had a program like this. So they invited um, someone outside of their normal staff or their normal organization to curate, to curate an event on the Beltline. And so it was a six months residency where I was given um, a budget um, to come up with a vision and and plan it out and so there's other residencies there was another artist residency a part of it so Fahamu, Dr. Fahamu Puku was a part of it as well he put a car he had a he had a, a exhibit called um we can't cop cars without being stopped by cars something like that so forgive me if I mis you know misinterpret that but he ha- he was the artist in um residency so he also had the opportunity to like put his art on there so um, just just learning to, for me, it was all about, you know, we did the site visits. I found a space um, or the space that they provided me to have, um, really working the idea, researching, developing um, what I wanted to do, and then executing and just pulling together all my resources, pulling together all the artists that I know, and really just making that vision come true um, as a curator. So... Very cool. Yep, let's tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Is the Atlanta Beltline like they're mostly white people who are part of that organization or is it kind of yes. mm-hmm. mostly white? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um it's really cool that they they brought you on. Um I don't know about their history, but I mean one is kind of iconic. You put something together and mm-hmm. made it happen with all the tools with all this period of time. Mm-hmm. Also they brought in a black woman to um do something and kind right. of just let you do whatever you wanted to do. Right. And I knew I was like, first of all, 
It's not gonna be biggity black. <laughs> I knew I was gonna do something black, and it's gonna be representative of me. So, but to be the first, you know, curator in residence as a black woman, the first curator in residence ever for the Bell Line, and then being uh-huh. a black woman as all, you know, as well, and being recognized or being hired by an organization to do public art, um, it's like one of the first to do it. Like, there's plenty of, you know, other black women who've done creative things around the city. But to be recognized as the first um, for the Beltline was a great accomplishment that I still was just like, is this really happening? Like, <laughs> was this really happening? Because I had so much momentum being pulled up, you know, during like around January. Like, and I had, um, you know, I had to hire the publicist that helped me do some things. And so I, I had interviews and um, radio, radio, other radio interviews and articles written. So like, that was like, Great. And then I has, you know, I was featured in a magazine and I was like, oh, okay, this is dope. But I, and then that's when my imposter came syndrome came back around. So I was just like, yo, God, am I really for this? Like, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But I'm just like, the work I was doing was like, yo, you ready? Um, but even still finding the confidence to be like, yo, your voice matters and you can't be shy. Like, if you're going to be bold enough to do it, you got to be bold enough to speak about it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Very cool. And did you know that you would be the first black woman? Well, I mean, I, I guess, of course, you knew you'd be the. I knew I was okay, going to be yeah, the so first. This was like the very first time they did this. Oh, okay, that's cool. Right. Did you know you would like, like, I guess what that would kind of mean? No, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like this, like, catch me too, because it's like, dang, like, us black people still have to be the first to do something. I mean, but I guess when I thought about it, it was like, because I was the first curator, like if I take that I'm a woman out, if I take that I'm a black, I'm like, I'm the first curator, right? To do it. But then it's just like, okay, you're the first black woman. And um, I mean, it's special in a sense because I was just like, I hope that it gives, you know, little girls or other artists, you know, I hope they're inspired to be like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to step out on faith too. And I'm going to, that thing I was scared to do, that I'm going to do it. All right. So. All you have to do is apply. All right. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to transition a little bit to your natural hair journey. Yeah. Um, so to start off, um, what inspired you to go with Lux? Like, I know you had a fro for a while, uh-huh. and um, you were already natural and loving it. It just kind of seemed natural for you, but uh-huh. what exactly inspires you to start your lock journey? Um, so I've always uh, wanted hair down my back, right? So that came from me, like, wanting to have long hair, and um, and I just knew I was like, the, the people who had the longest hair were people who had locks, and I was just like, I, I want to have locks and I've always told myself I was like first of all Rapunzel was probably black because only only a woman with locks could have someone come up <laughs> the tower <laughs> okay <laughs> only someone with locks going through hair is going to be strong enough for someone to climb so I you know just joke around that you know tip up to myself but it was probably my senior year in college and I had Got my hair. I had afro, and then I wouldn't got it straightened. I only like straighten my hair, blow dry it out, and get it trimmed like twice a year because Georgia is, of course, humidity. I only do it in the like spring or fall, right? And so I, the last time I had got it straightened, the girl like went over. She like burnt my hair pretty much. So when mm-hmm. I went to wash it, it did not go back curly. Like she like burnt out the, per- the pattern in my hair. So like I just had new growth, but the ends were like dead. So I like cut all my hair off again. 
And then, but my hair grew so fast out here. So it was back to an Afro by the summer. And so I was just like, well, I've been rocking the Afro for the last like three years, three, four years. So I was like, it's, it's time for me to start my locks. And so my friend, she had locks and I kept seeing people that I was like, oh, I love your locks, I love your locks. And so she like two strand, did the two strand twist for me. And then I just never took them out. And it's been uh, 16 years. It's been 16 years. Yeah, I've had my locks for 16 years. And so I've. I've dyed them and colored them and had purple, had blue and green. I've had, I've had so much fun with them. And then I, I probably about three years, three years ago, I cut them. They was down to like my waist and then I cut them into like a bob and now they're, you know, growing back. But, um, yeah, I've contemplated like, Oh, do I want to comb them out? Do I want to cut them again? I was like, if I cut them, then I can just reattach them. If I want to get them back, if I comb them out, then I'm gonna have to start completely over. So I don't know. I mean, I, they, they have a story. They've been with me for a while. <laughs> I like to call them like they're my they're like my tree branches, right. and um, they're just so yeah. diverse, and I can do so much to them. So I just love them. And then I like I shaved the side of my head. I kept saying the other day I was just like I've been saying this since I shaved it. Um, I was gonna go completely bald, and I was gonna get like some henna right here, but oh, I haven't did it yet. <laughs> I haven't did it yet. My friend, my cousin was like, "Why do you still have that baby hair?" I was like, "Because I love my, I cannot get rid of my baby hair." And plus, it's like uh, I always play with this, so it's just kind of like my like stress reliever. So I was just right. like, "No, I might be bald right here, but I'm just gonna have some baby hair." <laughs> 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 but honestly, like my original reason why I ended up really um, shaving it off is because I guess this I had like uh, traction alopecia, like you know when people are like, "Oh, you ain't got no edges," like my from twisting over because this is like my go-to space to always play with my hair like I, I it, it started to like um fade away and it wasn't growing back like it should have oh, so I was like well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shave it off but I like it I've been rocking it and I was like yeah, let's get some finger waves <laughs> all right <laughs> you gotta have all these different hairs now but mm. yeah very cool <laughs> um what is something that you wish people understood about natural hair um I wish they understood that. Um, mm, that it's it's like our hair defies gravity. Like our hair, it doesn't matter what texture that you have. Like I, if you look at my explore page on Instagram, it's always like some hair. I'm, I'm surprised that I'm not a hairstylist, but I love like doing little kids' hair and. Um, I barely, I mean, I can play around my hair, but I, I find pleasure in going to get my, my hair retwisted because I was like go, going to the beauty, beauty supply, not beauty supply, but going to the beauty salon and hair down was always like a self-care practice, right? And it's like sisterhood and bonding. But our hair is so cool. Like, it's just dope. Like, just, I miss, I have my little combing ring on because I do miss combing my hair sometimes. But like, just the parts, like how, to, how we part our hair and comb it and like the way our hair can twist up and curl up and uh, it's just this so many textures to it. And then just the history of all the different hairstyles that we have and stories of how, you know, black women will plant, you know, put seeds in our hair. Like that's how some of these vegetables got over here. Okay. Like our hair will have seeds um, braided into the, the hairstyle um, or, um, just different routes, like the, the different, um, how your hair can be parted and different routes to like, you know, like a map somewhat, but the geometrical, the shapes that we can come up with 
Um, I mean, what is not to love about black black people's hair is like the best hair ever. It's the best. It's the best because we can come. We have all these different textures, and everybody can relate to somebody. Whether you have four C, B C, whatever. I don't. I didn't even know about these these types of hair till like recently, <laughs> thanks to Instagram and all these tutorials and natural hair tutorials. I saw a tutorial on how to do baby hair, and I was like, really? <laughs> we've been doing. We've been using baby. We've been using a toothbrush with baby hair for the longest, okay? But now it's just like to see people actually like embracing it. It's like it's it's funny to watch, but to see people get their hair twisted and braided, and people whose hair is like this short, and someone's getting a grip. Or you, you hear about the shrinkage, like how your hair shrinks up, and then when you blow dry it out, it's like hella long, and then it just goes. It, I don't know. It's just like dope. Like our hair is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So you know, hearing that, I'm really excited to kind of hear what you think to this next question. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer to any of these, but do you consider your hair a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Um. I you know I I think I've had that question before um, because of like the stories with 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 walks itself. Um, I think it's a lifestyle for me. It's a lifestyle for me because, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm embracing my hair the way it's how it grows, right? Um, but but styling with it is just the extra. Like I can dye it whatever color I want. I can do any type of updo. I can do any type of hairstyle I want it, you know? And so the styling is just the fun part, but embracing who you are is a lifestyle. Love that. <laughs> Love that. And one question um, that, well, doesn't necessarily have to do with hair, but just all encompassing. Um, how do you define professionalism? Hmm, professionalism is... Doing your best, um, respecting yourself and speaking your truth and not being apologetic for it and showing others respect and always willing to learn, always willing to um, take, you know, I don't say criticism, but constructive criticism and learn from it. And that's what professionalism is to me is. Just being open to hear other people's perspectives and just doing the best that you possibly can do with what your vision and how it can help, you know, serve someone else. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think we've given Ward a lot to listen to and think about. And I really want to thank you for sharing everything. But um, is there anything else you'd like to share or plug or um, touch on before we leave? Um, not at this moment, but you can definitely follow me on on the IG, on the gram at Seabrooks Art, um, or Journey of a Black Girl. There's some more content to come. I'm actually revamping my website. I'm separating Journey of a Black, Journey of a Black Girl from Seabrooks Art, and mm-hmm. so I'm. <clears throat> that's what I'm working on, and just excited for that, and um, looking for some collabs partnerships always sponsorships anybody that wants to be down um yeah so that's what i got going on and yeah just send me good energy i'm gonna send the good energy out to y'all and much love and all praises due to the most high 
Love it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Courtney, for uh, coming on the show. Thank you so um, much. I appreciate you. Yeah. And then also, if y'all want to see, the easiest way to, if you want to see any of the shows that I have curated, um, just do hashtag Courtney the Curator. And you can see all the cool things, dope art experiences that I have put myself into. Interesting. <laughs> I'll make sure I plug yeah. the link to that. Um, yeah. I should be able to plug the link to that in the show notes on the website. Yeah. So hashtag Courtney the Curator. Courtney the Curator. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, well thank uh, you so much. Yes, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And oh, I, I guess also one other thing I like to say thank you for is because um so for people who've been listening from the beginning, I started off with kind of like the pilot series with people who I just was having interviews with before I really knew how I wanted everything to kind of come together. Mm-hmm. You were one of the people who were just like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And like, I know we had like some internet issues. We like pulled up a man in like a Kroger, like, mm-hmm. like sit down section. We have, we, like, have oh. our own, we have our own journey. Okay. This is what the oh, fifth yeah. time we try to yeah. get together. <laughs> <laughs> the journey on the so. so yeah, I definitely appreciate you and everything you do for the world, but also appreciate the love and support that you've mm-hmm. shown. And I'm um, really excited to watch the journey continue. Yes, the journey continues. Now that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It's Boss Lodge, where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you like today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, go ahead and visit www.bosslocks.org. I mean, you could also click the link in the description. It'll take you right to the episode page where you can see all the different links and places to learn and connect with our guests. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is the best place to get direct messages from me to you. And we'll always continue to announce things through this podcast, but you'll be able to get more information about everything happening outside of the podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. My name is Walt, and I will see you next time.